Well, good morning, Taylors. It is so good to be with you. I've been looking forward to this uh, for some time. I've actually been here uh, to the church and have had the privilege of meeting uh, with uh, many of your staff and some of your lay people in the two and a half years or so that uh, we have been here. My wife, Gwen, would be with me today, but she is teaching her Sunday school class back at our home church, which is Shandon Baptist Church uh, down in Columbia. But uh, about two and a half years ago, the Lord... Uh, called us to leave the church that we were pastoring. I was pastoring in Little Rock, Arkansas, the Emmanuel Baptist Church, which is very, very similar to Taylor's. Uh, even the sanctuaries look very much alike, and uh, the ministry, I think, is very similar. So I just want you to know I feel very, very much at home this morning and certainly have already done so in the first worship hour and uh, looking forward to sharing God's Word with you this morning. Would you go ahead and take your Bibles and turn with me to the the book of Malachi, the third chapter. This is, of course, the last book right before uh, the New Testament. So just go to the last chapter in the in the Old Testament. And uh, when David uh, asked me a few weeks ago, uh, David Massey, your chairman of deacons, who called and uh, asked if I had a Sunday that was free, and the Lord had literally just left this Sunday. It's the only Sunday this fall that uh, that I had, and I just believe that God spared it and saved it because I was supposed to be here. But then he told me that y'all were doing the read the Bible through together, which I love. I think that's a wonderful idea, and then sort of synchronizing the Bible reading with uh, the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. And then uh, he shared with me that it was Malachi chapter 3, and I thought, oh, great. I'm the guy who will come for the first time and preach on money, you know, because that's what Malachi chapter 3 is all about. And yes, indeed, we're going to talk this morning about God's plain plan of stewardship, but it involves so, so, so much more than money. And I hope that you'll catch the spirit of that uh, in this message this morning before we turn our attention primarily to the Word of God for our time this morning. I want to say two things, if I may. First and foremost, I want to say to you, Taylor's First Baptist Church, thank you for your faithful uh, leadership in so many ways. You are truly one of the leading churches of all of our 2,137 South Carolina Baptist Convention churches. And uh, people have asked me after leaving, you know, pastoring one church, this is my 43rd year of doing ministry. I never, ever saw myself doing uh, what I'm doing now, leading this convention and our uh, as its executive director. And by the way, when your last name is Hollingsworth, it's already that long, and then my title is Executive Director Treasurer of the South Carolina Baptist Convention. It won't even fit on a business card. I have to carry a whiteboard with me. But uh, I say that just think of me as your state missionary, and God has called me here to be a pastor to pastors. I love pastors. I love churches. And I want to say to Taylor's First Baptist, thank you for your leadership. You're a pace setter. You have been for so many years. You are now, and I know that you will continue to be in the years ahead. And a, a huge part of that is, of course, your giving to mission causes. You don't give to the corporate program. You give through the corporate program. And our ministries in South Carolina are made possible because of the faithful giving, the faithful financial stewardship of churches just like Taylor's. And so I want to thank you for that and uh, also know that you'll continue to lead uh, in, in the coming days ahead. But on a more personal note, if I might, during this time of transition, I, I want to just say this as I was seated here this morning in the first worship hour, 
the Lord reminded me of that great verse that most of us can quote, Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11, when the Lord says through the prophet Jeremiah, he's speaking to the people of God. He said, hey, I know the plans that I have for you. Now that's the Lord. That's not man's plans. That's God's plan. I know the plans that I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, but to give you a hope and a future. And when I, I thought about that verse this morning, and I just want to encourage you, Taylor's First Baptist Church, that this is God's church and Jesus is the head of this body. And no matter how much you love First, uh, Taylor's First Baptist Church, Jesus loves it more. It is his church and uh, you are the bride of Christ. He is the bridegroom. And I know that God has plans for Taylor's First Baptist and it is to give you a hope and again, a, a great future. And so we're going to continue. We have already begun to pray for you as we always do in our staff when churches are in transition, particularly as a matter of fact, we pray every single week, uh, every Wednesday, we pray uh, for different ones of our churches. We pray through those 2,137 every week. And, uh, but for those who are in transition, we, we pray especially, and we pray more often. So we're already beginning to pray for you and we'll continue to do so. Well, uh, I want to ask you, if you will, to stand in honor of our God and the reading of his word, if you will. And I'd like to read this morning uh, for us together, but you can follow along, of course, on the screen. But I want you to listen to these verses in Malachi chapter 3, verses 8, 9, and 10. The context, of course, of this, remember, there's about to be a 400-year time of silence. No new prophetic word of God spoken through prophets like Malachi. The next time God will speak prophetically will be 400 years through John the Baptist when he announces the coming of Jesus. And, and, and so the reason that's important is that if we know that someone, this is going to be the last word that God will have to say for 400 years. And there's, we could ask, well, why? That's a whole nother message and sermon that we could get into. But it heightens the sense of the importance of these verses. And yes, it does deal with our possessions, our time, our treasure, but also our, our talents. And so with that, follow along as I read these three verses for us this morning. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in other words, the people said back to God, well, in what way have we robbed you? And God answers, in tithes and offerings, you're cursed with a curse, for you've robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and prove me. He says, test me, try me out on this, he says. Prove me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and I will pour out for you such blessing that there will not even be room enough to receive it. And may God this morning honor this public reading of his wonderful word. Thank you, and you may be seated. Well, I, I want to just kind of get this out of the way right up front. You know, there, there's some TV shows these days like that deal with, with, with scaring people, people kind of being frightened. Fear Factor, there's a new one I saw advertised 
I think, Castaways. You know, you're out on an island, these survivor shows. And as a matter of fact, there's one I have not, I will not watch this. I've only seen it as I'm scanning through looking, usually for some sports-related show. That's about most of the TV that I watch these days. And by the way, I'm sorry for you Clemson fans. I'm an Alabama fan, y'all. I know I just lost a lot of you out there, but I went to Alabama back in the day. But we won't get into all of that. But anyway, I'm scanning through just the other way. And, and there's a show called Naked and Afraid. I mean, it's not enough to be afraid, but you got to be naked now. I mean, you know, it's crazy, some of the shows that are out there in Hollywood. Well, I thought about that when David called me, and I realized that, again, that if I preach today is that this is where you were. And for a pastor, for a preacher, you know, preaching on money is a scary thing. So I want you to know they could have filmed me today and put me in Hollywood, I think, on the fear factor, because I know most of y'all are going to go home. I may never come back here again, but if I ever do, it'll, you'll probably say, oh yeah, that's the guy I only preached here one time and he preached on money. Well, I hope that you'll get more from this message than just, I'm the guy from South Carolina, from Columbia, South Carolina, who came to preach to you on money. Because here's what I want you to understand. Stewardship is far, far more than just what we do with our money. As a matter of fact, I want to lay a foundation for this message in, in this regard. Uh, three things I want to say foundationally before we kind of get into the meat of this message. Number one, the most important thing that God wants any of us to give him is ourself, our heart, our trust. In other words, salvation is really the first step of stewardship. So I want to give an invitation right now. Normally we wait to give that invitation at the end, but the invitation is this, is that if, don't, don't hear me preach and teach this morning about material possessions and money and all those things. Hear me simply say is that God loves you. God sent his son Jesus to give up his life. See, there's giving. Jesus gave his life in exchange for your sin. That's what we just sang in these wonderful worship songs, is that we owed a debt we couldn't pay, and Jesus paid it for us. That's giving. And so this morning, hear me say that the best thing you can offer to God, bring yourself, bring your sin, lay it at the foot of the cross, receive Jesus into your life, and your journey will really begin there. So that's number one. Number two, if you are a believer and you are a faithful tither and you're a faithful giver, you see, it's tithes and offerings. The tithe is just the beginning point. Tithe means one-tenth. If you don't know what that word means, it means to give a tenth of your income. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in just a moment. But if you're faithful in that already, I want to say thank you for, again, being a faithful steward of what God has entrusted to you. But I might want to even challenge you a little more to consider if you're not a tithe, or, or, or if you're tithing and giving an offering, but could you do more, perhaps, with what God has given to you? It may not be your money. It may just be your time. It may be the spiritual gifts, the talents that God has given you. But is there something more that you could offer? That's the second foundational thing. The third foundational thing is, if you know Jesus and you're not a tither, you're not being obedient and faithful with your money, with your time, with your talent, with anything else, I would just simply ask that during the course of these next 15 or 20 minutes together is that you would allow God, the Holy Spirit, to speak specifically and directly to you. And I'm praying that for me as well. I want to be very sensitive, even as I'm sharing this message, that if God prompts me in any way that I will be faithful and I will be obedient in that matter.
And so that's kind of the foundational element. Give your life to Jesus. If you're giving, then could you give more or give even more freely? And if you're not, could you take another step towards obedience in this matter? That is God's plain plan of his economy. You know, there are all kinds of economies. There's capitalism. That's kind of our American system. Some are against that. We'll hear about that. There's socialism. There's communism. There are all these isms that are economic systems. Well, I have news for you. God has an economic system, and it's better than anything any human being has ever designed. And I personally am living proof, and many of you are of that as well. So we want to talk today for just a few moments, again, about God's plain plan, his economic plan, because I promise you, it works. It may not make sense to us rationally and logically and humanly, but I will testify, and many of you in here could as well, that God's economic system, it simply works. Well, I want to share with you a few things from the prophet of Malachi as God is challenging him to speak to the people before this 400 years of silence comes. And the first thing I see when I read this text is this, stewardship really is a matter of obedience. Stewardship is a matter of obedience. Go back with me to verse 10 and notice that first phrase that says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Now that word bring in the construct of the language, the Hebrew language, is a command. It carries the same power and punch as the Great Commission. We all know the Great Commission or Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, that you shall be my witnesses. Anytime we see a command in the Word of God, that's not something that's up for debate. That's not something that is optional. It's not a suggestion. And verse 10 of Malachi 3, the opening line, is a command. It's based on the fact that God expects his people to be obedient in this matter. Time and time again, in the Old and the New Testament, you, you read verses like this. God says, it's not sacrifice that I'm looking for. I don't want your, it's not your stuff I really want. I just want you to be obedient. I want you to do what I tell you to do because I have a greater and a grand, more grand purpose for that. Now, my father taught me this. My father did not become a Christian until he was an adult, uh, and it's a whole long story, but my father was orphaned when he was 11 years of age in the middle of the Depression. His mother and his father died two weeks apart, if you can imagine. He's 11 years of age, and his father died. Two weeks later, his mother died, and he's left orphaned, one of 11 children, and he lived with his older brother, my uncle, who was more like a grandfather to me, uh, as you can well imagine. But my father did not know the Lord as his Savior until he met and married my mom. And when he came to know Jesus as his Savior, he really, uh, because he had lived such a hard and challenging life, that this stewardship thing was something that he just kind of got and wanted to be faithful and obedient. So when I was a little boy, literally five, six, seven years of age, every Saturday night, I can still see it as vividly as I'm standing before you today. After our Saturday evening dinner meal, for some of you, you'll relate to this. Others, this will be foreign. But my father would go, and we had five boxes of envelopes. Can anybody remember that? You remember the envelopes that used to come? Yeah, boy, this crowd really doesn't understand. But our, our giving envelopes at our church came in a box, a little bitty box. It was, you know, about four inches uh, by two inches square, three inches square. And there were five of them because there were five in my family. My dad, 
My mother, my older sister Diane, my middle sister Deb, and I'm the baby. I had two older sisters. It's kind of like having three mothers, let me tell you. And it wasn't a bad gig because I never washed dishes. I, you know, I was kind of spoiled. Matter of fact, I was so spoiled as the only, as the only son the only boy, and with all these females in my life, that when I married my wife of nearly 40 years, who again is not here today because she's teaching, but she's the oldest of four children, all one year apart. So I married an older child. She was the oldest. I was the youngest. And so my line is that Gwen, my wife, was looking for somebody to take care of, and I was her candidate. Let me tell you, it has worked out splendidly well for 40 years. Well, on Saturday night, my father would go get those envelopes. His, my mother's, Diane's, Deb's, and mine. And the reason I really liked it is because Saturday night was allowance time, allowance night. I got a dollar. Now, remember, I was born in 1957. So in the early 60s, you know, a, a dollar for a six or seven-year-old could, could, could buy some stuff at the Five and Dime store there in Anniston, Alabama, where I was reared. So on Saturday night, my father would give us get our envelopes, and he would check these boxes, Bible read, and we did, we read our Bible every day as a family, we had a family altar time, studied our Sunday school lesson, going to worship, going to, I mean, it was this little check system in these envelopes, and then he would give me, not a dollar bill, he gave me 10 dimes, every single Saturday, I got 10 dimes, and then when he got to my envelope, he would open the envelope, and he would say, now you're going to give one of those dimes to the Lord, and you can give your offering in church tomorrow, Northside Baptist Church. Well, hey, I'm, I'm a kid. I think this is a great deal. I get to keep nine, my goodness. And so I would put my dime in there proudly, and my father was teaching me the act of being obedient in the tithe and the offering. Now, fast forward. Now I'm a teenager. Had my first job at Bud's Menswear in Huntsville, Alabama. He had been transferred up to Redstone Arsenal by this time. And so uh, I, I went to work part-time at a clothing store. And I remember getting my first check. I had a girlfriend at the time. It was not the lady who became my wife, but so I can, you know, but it's all okay. And, but I had a girlfriend, so I was delighted to have this part-time job because now I could take her out to the movies or go out to eat or whatever. And so I, I got this paycheck. I remember my first paycheck. I don't know if any of y'all remember your very, very first real paycheck. And I'd already calculated, you know, how much I was going to get paid per hour. And I'd done the math, knew how many hours I worked. And I got this check and I looked at it. And it wasn't near as much as I had anticipated. Are you with me? This is when I discovered the world of taxes, okay? And so, you know, they deducted all of these things, and I, I, was, I was a little frustrated, but I, it was still okay because I had my check. Well, I get, wasn't even that very week. It was a couple of weeks later, and my father asked me this question. Did you get your first paycheck? Yes, sir. We had, I had a checking account. We'd set up a checking account. And he said, don't forget to pay your tithe. Now, he didn't make a big deal out of it, but I'll never get what he said. I mean, I, the, the thought that went through my brain. And, and we didn't discuss it, but I felt it. And here's what I was thinking. Hmm, when I write my check, do I need to write it on the gross amount or the net amount? Because see, the taxes had left me with this net amount that was far less than my gross amount. So I had this little internal argument, and, and I'm going to be honest, you know, I'd been, I got saved when I was a little boy, and I was trying to grow in my faith and everything, but my inclination was, well, you know, that's all I ended up with in my pocket. I believe I'll just write my tithe check off of the net amount. Well, needless to say, is that as I went to write my check, it just had to be God the Holy Spirit, because I really didn't know any better, but 
I looked at that top amount, that gross amount, and I wrote my first official tithe check off of that gross amount. And I've been tithing. When people ask me, do you believe tithing's off the gross or the net? And I said, uh, well, I, I believe it's off the gross because that's what I earned, if you will. And why would I give God less than I would give the government? The government's going to take theirs through their taxes. And that helped me begin that journey of just simply being obedient. And by the way, you know, I've had people say, well, you know, it was easier to tithe when you didn't make as much. Well, I heard one pastor who heard that argument with a person who said, well, you know, when I wasn't making a lot of money, I, I, it was easy to tithe then. So the pastor, it wasn't me, but the pastor looked back and said, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray that God will begin to decrease your salary so you can get back to tithing again. I don't think any of us would offer that deal up. No. You see, stewardship is really a matter of discipleship, isn't it? When you get discipleship right, stewardship takes care of itself. Again, of our talent, our time, our money, our trade, everything that we have, and it's a matter of obedience. But I want to say a second thing because I think the prophet speaks to this. Not only do we give out of obedience and we are stewards out of obedience, but listen, stewardship should be motivated more by love. I hear this argument a lot as a pastor for all these years. Well, tithing is Old Testament and it's under the law, isn't it? You see, now Jesus says that it, we're under grace in the New Testament, and, and that is correct. But you see, Jesus said, I didn't come to do away with the law. I came to actually fulfill it. And I would argue the point that really the tithe is just the beginning point. That's why we talk about, and the prophet does, talks about tithes and offerings. You see, tithing, my tithe always goes to my local church. We're members at Shandon Baptist Church. And our tithe, every two weeks when we get paid, goes instantly to Shandon Baptist Church. Now, we give offerings to other things as God leads us. Billy Graham ministry. Uh, we've got some missionaries that are serving and we help support them. Uh, Campus Crusade. I mean, those are just some that, that we continue to give through our offering. But you see, we do that not because there's some law that says we have to. We do that because we love to do that. Now, my wife and I have been married for nearly 40 years, as I told you. December 22nd will be 40 years of marriage. It's hard to believe. But you see, there, there's a law that says that I can't physically abuse her. If I physically abuse my wife, I could get arrested, and uh, I, I could and I should be punished. I should go to jail for that. But I do not physically, I never have, nor shall I ever physically abuse my, abuse my wife. But it's not because there's a law that says that I shouldn't or I'll get in trouble. I don't abuse my wife because I love her. She is the physical apple of my eye outside of getting saved when I was a little boy, getting married to Gwen Elizabeth Beeman Hollingsworth is the best thing that's ever happened to me in my life. And I love her. Therefore, I, I'm not motivated because there's some law that says I have to do this or I shouldn't do that. I'm motivated to love her and to care, or to care for her because I do love her. Uh, we have now two granddaughters. We have a two-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter, and we have a four-month-old granddaughter. The reason that's so important is because we had two boys, Jonathan and Ryan, and the reason we have two boys is, is the reason we don't have three boys, rather, is because we had two. Some of y'all will understand. 
what I'm talking about. We love our boys, don't get me wrong, they're adults now. But Jonathan is the father of our two granddaughters. Gwen and I were in Colorado last week. I had a meeting there, out there, and she got to go with me. And so when we had our first free time in Colorado, and she wanted to kind of do some shopping in the town where we were staying. And so we went into this store, and the first place we went, you know where this is going. We started looking for girl stuff to buy something for our granddaughters. Matter of fact, I'd never shop for girls, but boy, I'm getting pretty good at it right now. I, I love shopping for those little girls. And the reality is, is that, is that the reason we wanted to buy our granddaughter something was because we love them. We love them so much that it is our pleasure, it is our joy that we can give to them something as an expression of how much we love and care for them. How much more so should our stewardship be motivated by love? There's a third thing, though. You see, we do give and we are stewards because we're told to, obedience. But we give out of a motivation of love. But I do want you to see a third thing in verse 10. We also give and stewardship is important. Why? Because of the need. Look what the prophet says. He says in verse 10, hey, bring all of the tithes into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. See, there was a need for provision. And you know, ministry does indeed... Take money, doesn't it? This beautiful sanctuary, this beautiful worship center in which we are seated this morning and are worshiping. I'm sure it costs some money. I was pastoring a church in Birmingham, Alabama. I was there 10 years. We went through five building programs. Every two years, God was blessing. We were growing. We were reaching people for Christ. It was so exciting, but we were having to build buildings. When we were building a new sanctuary, about very similar to this one, and I remember I found a cartoon that I kept, and I even showed it to our people after we had moved in the building, but the cartoon was this. It was a pastor out kind of in the lobby area of the church after a sermon, and people were coming by to greet him. And this person said to this pastor this, said, Pastor, I sure am glad that you told us this morning in your sermon that you didn't have a clue where the money for this new building was going to come from, because for a while there, I thought you were going to ask for it from us. Well, anyway, I, I've never forgotten that cartoon. You see, it is true that when God cast a vision and the people of God began to catch that vision is that there is a response because like Malachi says, bring those tithes into the storehouse because there is a need. Let me tell you about some of the needs in the world today. There are two billion, that's with a capital B, two billion people who woke up this day or will go to bed this day, having never heard the name Jesus one time. Two billion people who have no access to the gospel. I'd say that's a need if we really want to take the Great Commission seriously. I'd say that's a need if we really believe that people, if they die without Jesus, is that they don't go to heaven, but they go to a place called hell. I believe that the missionary mandate, and let me get a little closer to home. There are, according to our research in our office, 3.6 million, now that's not billion, but million, 3.6 million people in South Carolina who do not know Jesus as their Savior. I think that there are some compelling needs of ministry, of getting the gospel out, that compel us to give, like Malachi says, bring those tithes and those offerings into the storehouse, into the house of God. Why? So that my house might be met, the needs might be met, so that there might be food in my house, Malachi says. But I want to share a fourth and a final thing here. And don't 
don't misinterpret this last thing because I think this is the one that is most abused and you hear a lot of health and wealth and I call it name it and claim it and grab it, uh, glab it, and, uh, blab it and grab it. I've heard all kinds of little lines about theology about if you give, you'll automatically get. Now, it doesn't always work that way. I can't tell you that if you're going to tithe, you're going to be a tither, is you're going to become a millionaire or billionaire or whatever. No, it doesn't always work that way. But listen to what Malachi says, and this is a promise. He says, now trust me, try me, prove me in this, and see if I will not open for you the window of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there won't even be room enough to receive it. In other words, God's saying, be obedient, give out of love, understand that there are needs that you're meeting when you do give, but beyond that, he says, I'm going to bless you back. Now, it may come in unexpected ways. It may come in surprising ways. It may not always even be directly financial, but many times it is. I'm a testimony of that. Many times over the course of our many years of ministry, and as I told you, we, when we married, I remember the day in our first year of marriage that we had $3 in our checkbook. We didn't even have a savings account. We had $3. It was Wednesday. I was a part-time youth minister. My wife was a part-time secretary at a church in Tuscaloosa where I was finishing up school at that university over there. And uh, I remember we had $3. It was a Wednesday. I had half a tank of gas. We only had one car. We had plenty of food to eat. And we both got paid Friday. And I was thinking, hey, no problem. Here it is. You know, I got $3, man. It can last us till Friday. So we know what it's like to not have a lot of money. And I look now and how God has blessed Fast forward, I'm a youth minister at Rehoboth Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia, right out of seminary in the early 1980s. We had an evangelist, Junior Hill, maybe some of y'all have heard Junior, and Junior preached a message that really got my attention that night. I'll never forget it. He was talking, again, about financial stewardship for some reason, but he used an illustration that was kind of like Malachi 3 about to prove it, and here's what he said. He said, God told him years ago, he started keeping what he would call his God money, Money that he kept in his wallet, and he said, I would give it away when God would prompt me to give it away. This is in addition to his tithing and whatever else he was planning on doing. But keep enough money that it's his God money. And so I'm a youth minister. I wasn't making tons of money at that point, but I, I, I took him up on it. And so I put a $50 bill in my wallet as the youth minister at Rehoboth Baptist Church. And weeks and weeks went by, but the day came and God... I don't even remember all of the details. I just remember God prompted me to give that $50 to somebody. And I did. I reached in my wallet. And, uh, and by the way, it was, it, 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 it was kind of hard when you're a youth minister and you got a $50 bill to actually give it away. But I knew God was telling me to give it away. And so I did. I, I gave my $50. Didn't even think anything about it. Now, this is where the story gets a little squirrely. And you may think that this is one of those exaggerated preacher stories, but it happened exactly like I'm telling you. It was weeks and weeks later. I'd forgotten about it totally. I had not replenished my $50 because here's what Junior Hill said. He said his entire ministry, every time he gave that money away, God would keep giving it back. And he said it would come in the most unusual ways, but God always gives my money back. And so I gave my $50 and I didn't think about it, and I wasn't expecting God to give it back necessarily, but I, I, I just knew that God told me to give it. Several weeks later, I pulled into the parking lot uh, at our church, and when I pulled up where my car was, there was a row of hedges right in front of my car. I got out of my car, 
was walking towards the entrance to the building. And again, this is, it happened exactly like this. I took a few steps and I stopped because something caught my eye and I backed up and I looked. I'm telling you, there was a hundred dollar bill in the bush. I'm not making, I'm telling you, I, I was, at first I thought it was monopoly money. You know, I mean, that was, it, but I reached in that bush. It is a hundred dollar bill. And I put it in my wallet. And sometime after that, I gave that $100 bill away. Now, I want you to know the reason I still carry my God money. God has continued not, that's the most dramatic. Usually it happens in some other kind of way. You know, like Gwen will get something on sale and tell me that she saved $50. No, that's not how it (laughs) comes back. There's my God money. Matter of fact, this morning, just a moment ago in the service, God told me to do something with some of my God money. Come here, Jeremy. You, right there. Come on. (laughs) Y'all have got some folks going to London, haven't you? This is God money, okay? He's telling me to give that to you. I don't know what y'all need that for. I'm going to keep a little for later because Gwen knows where my God money is too. But anyway, (laughs) now somebody's going to need that money. I don't know who it is. Y'all just use it however. Now, that's not about Gary. That's God money. Now, Jeremy, I'm going to tell you this part of the story. And this is true, too. Okay, I'm in pastor in a church, Alexandria, Virginia. A guy came in, needed help. We got that all the time. We lived right outside of Washington, D.C. I'm praying with this guy. I shared the gospel with him. And while I'm praying with him, God prompted me to give him some of my God money. He, I mean, the Lord did. This only happened one time exactly like this, but Jeremy, I'm telling you exactly how it happened. So this is important for that God money. So I'm praying with this guy. While I'm praying, I'm reaching in my wallet just like I did then and finding my God money. And I had a $100 bill in my hand to give to this guy because God in my spirit, while I was praying, prompted me to give this money to this guy. So when I said amen, and I told him, I said, I said sir, I, I normally don't do this. I do not give cash. But while I was praying, the Lord just kind of spoke to me and told me to give you this money. And so I was reaching to hand him a $100 bill. And I'm telling you, just again, as clear as I'm here with y'all today, I don't know where this came from. I didn't plan to say this. It just came out of my mouth and I couldn't even get it back. And I'm reaching to hand him the money. And I said, and I'm quoting, I said, and by the way, If you drink or do drugs with this money, I'm going to pray God will kill you. Now, I can't believe I said that. And I was like, whoa, where did that come from? But Jeremy, if if that money goes somewhere else, all right, you fill in the blank. And that guy looked at me and he said, and I quote, I don't believe I ought to take that today. Is that anyway? I'm not. <laughs> True story. True story. Now, now, let me tell you, I don't understand God's economy, but it works. It just works. We give and he finds ways to just give back. It may not be money all the time. 
It may be just a spiritual blessing that you weren't expecting. It may be a new friend. It might be a new ministry opportunity. I don't know what it is. But when God says, if you'll trust me in this matter, I promise that I'm going to bring blessings back upon you that you can't even imagine. That's God's economy. It's true with our checkbook. It's true with our calendar. It's true with our talents. It's true with everything that we have. Because when we take that step of obedience, you know what we're really saying when we step out in obedience? We're saying to God, I trust you. I trust you. I believe that if you're big enough to save me, you're big enough to take care of me until you bring me home to heaven. Now, I don't know what that means for any of y'all today. I may just be the guy who drove up from Columbia early this morning, and he's the guy who preached on money, and he may never come back, and I may never get another invitation to come back. But, but I want you to know that it would have been real easy for me to preach a different message that I really kind of had already thought I would preach until David said, no, this is where we are in the Scripture. If God leads you to preach it, you preach it. And he did, and I did. And I'm going to trust how God might want to apply that to your life, to the church's life, and even to my life as we walk through this matter of being obedient. I told you I gave the invitation at the beginning. I want to close with the same invitation. God's not interested in your money. He doesn't need your money. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. My goodness. He owns everything. He owns everything. Psalm 24.1 tells us that, that he is the maker and the owner, therefore, of everything. And so if God owns everything, he doesn't need anything that we have. But what he does say is, would you first bring me your heart and once you give your heart, you give your life, you come to Jesus asking him to be your savior and then your Lord for the rest of your life. All of those other things, my life verse is Matthew 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then what's the promise? All the other stuff in life, all the other things in life, you'll get those too. That is my testimony. That is absolutely the testimony of my life, not just financially, but in spiritual blessings beyond compare. So today, if you don't know Jesus, your pastors, your staff, they're going to be here to receive you. If God's speaking to you today about being a better steward of your money or of your time, of your talents, whatever it might be, just let the Holy Spirit speak to you and you be obedient. And as you are obedient, trust God with the consequences of your willingness to simply be obedient and see what God will do. It'll blow your mind. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time of worship, for this day of worship, for this opportunity that we've had today to gather in your house with your people around your word and to hear from your spirit. And oh, Father, we pray now at this time of invitation. If there are those who need to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, if they need to take that step of stewardship, of giving themselves first to the Lord, and then following in believer's baptism as this young man did earlier today, Father, that will be the most significant thing that will take place in this house of worship this day. If there are other decisions, whatever those might be today, as we have heard from the Holy Spirit, as we have heard from your word, God, now let us not only hear your word, but be doing of your word as well. And we, again, will trust you with the consequences of our taking that step of faith and that step of obedience. Take this invitation now and use it in whatever way you see fit. We give it in the powerful and strong and saving name of Jesus. Amen.